Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Ryan Kuhn, CEO of Avail. And if you want to learn how to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am chatting with Ryan Kuhn. Ryan is a co-founder and the CEO of Avail, an all-in-one software solution designed for do-it-yourself landlords that's used by more than 600,000 landlords and tenants across the United States. Prior to Avail, Kuhn was an investment banking associate at BMO Capital Markets. He has a hardworking spirit, and together with his co-founder, Lawrence Jankalo, they developed the idea for their company on a napkin that now solves the needs of thousands of landlords. And they have the lofty goal of being able to help the real estate market to become as transparent and as efficient as the stock market, which is a pretty big goal. Guys, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Ryan. But first, really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur, and you've been meaning to start a podcast, you know how beneficial it would be for your credibility, for your authority, uh, for uh, getting speaking gigs, for getting book deals, uh, maybe for developing client relationships or building better relationships with your existing clients, whatever the case may be, you know, you need one, but you just haven't had the time, you don't have the team, you don't have the resources to be able to figure out how all the back end stuff works, then let me and my team build it for you. Um, head over to Travis Chapel com slash make my podcast uh, travischapel.com slash make my podcast there's a quick application there and we'll jump on a phone call to see if we would be a good fit to build a podcast for you so that you can focus on what you're good at and we can focus on what we are good at ryan what's up man thank you so much for joining me on the show today 
Hey, thanks so much for having me, Travis. Really excited to be talking with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, amazing software that you guys have built, and we'll definitely get into that. But first, let's build a little bit of context here and go back uh, all the way to the beginning, man. Let's talk uh, like junior high, Ryan, 12, 13, 14 years old. What were you up to back then? Talk to me about like family life and school and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, junior high, Ryan was probably out there hustling baseball cards, basketball cards uh, in the lunchroom back in Got school. It. So um, definitely, definitely a born and bred entrepreneur. Yeah, through and through. Um, no, so I, I grew up on northwest suburbs of Chicago, grew up middle class, hardworking family. My parents were both entrepreneurs. Um, and then in middle school, like I said, I, I mean, being in the Chicagoland area, huge Bulls fan. I mean, this is back in the 90s when Jordan and, and the Bulls were all the rage and mm-hmm. got, got really hooked on the sports scene here and then started buying uh, basketball cards, baseball cards, reselling those to other kids. And so that was my first uh, foray into business. Nice, nice. Did you have any interest in school or anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from, from an early age, um, my parents drilled into me the importance of a good education. And so was was pretty on top of the books. Um, I mean, really tried to use it. Um, as a tool and just build that good foundation for whatever it was that I wanted to do later in life. Yeah, sure, sure. So coming into high school, what were your plans for after high school? Was it always like, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Or was it just like, hey, this is what I'm doing to make some extra money right now. But you know, in the future, I'm going to be a, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, I think from an early age, I recognized the importance of freedom. And the freedom that comes with owning and managing a small business or, or a growing business of any size. And so I think early, from an early age, recognized that I wanted to eventually own my own business, took um, back then some of the earliest entrepreneurship classes that were, were being offered in the country back in high school, knew I wanted to go that route, but wasn't sure number one, what type of business. So it wasn't obvious for me at that point that it would ultimately be a software business. But I think, like I mentioned, appreciated and recognized how important freedom was and the freedom that can come from owning and running a business. Sure, sure. So what did you end up, what did you end up going to, uh, uh, to school for? If you ended up, did you, did, you go, did you go to college or was that something that you just said, no, nah, not for me? Yeah, I did go to college. Um, I was fortunate, was able to go to the University of Illinois down in Champaign, Illinois. At that point, when I went into college, basically went the, into the College of Business and knew that I wanted to study business. I remember someone telling me back in high school that the business of business is business. And it was this really interesting uh, conversation with someone who had been pretty successful. And he told me all about that and said, you, you can't go wrong by studying finance and accounting. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't, uh, my grades weren't quite up to par to get into the accounting program at Illinois, which is one of the top in the country. So I snuck into the College of Business as an entrepreneurship major, got into the College of Business, studied, took some of the gen eds, and then ultimately was able to get my grades up, studied finance and accounting during college, Hmm. And then wasn't, wasn't really sure where the, the, those would take me, but I felt that it was a good foundation for whatever I wanted to do later. 
Sure. So do you look back on that time as like a really useful time for you? Or do you think, you know, there's so much debate around this topic nowadays, like, should you go to college, especially if you're pursuing like a business or entrepreneurship type of a route for your life? So I'm curious to hear what you look at as your college experience and what you think it looks like now for people that are coming out of high school. Yeah, I think this is a great question. And I know you you recently had a guest on the show, Eric, who was talking about what would he do differently now? Um, looking back at his own upbringing, um, I think that my opinion, and I was actually thinking about this listening to your, your other episode, you know, if I were able to do it again, or what I would recommend for my kids when I have kids is that they ultimately go to school to learn a particular skill. Uh, so whether mm-hmm. that's computer engineering or art and design or communications or whatever that skill is. I would really recommend figuring that out because I think especially with entrepreneurship and business, there's so many resources out there now that you can, you can pick up on those things. Sure. Yeah. Like in, in terms of, in terms of some of like the, the more in-depth classes you're talking about or some of the general education. I mean, for me in particular, I got two degrees, one in accounting, one in finance. Okay. Both, both are helpful. I mean, it's good to be able to analyze financial statements sure. and those things. But in terms of technical accounting knowledge, um, that stuff doesn't matter as much anymore. I'm not going to be a public accountant. I'm not a CPA. Surface level, those, those things are very helpful. I just don't know that um, if you ultimately want to start a business and grow a company that you need to go to that depth. Sure. You can hire somebody that does that thing, right? Absolutely. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, 
You need Indeed. So, yeah, and I really love what you talked about in terms of working on skills because that's, and that's really essentially where I end up in the debate is kind of like, whatever you're doing, make sure that in the meantime, you're building some skill sets, especially, especially like late teens, early twenties, and really your entire twenties, building skill sets that are going to help you be successful in whatever the path is that you choose. So like, if you want to be in entrepreneurship, at some point, you're probably going to learn or need to learn something about sales and marketing. Like you're going to eventually have to learn something about persuasion. So even if you're in school, maybe just do a sales job on the side or go, go do door to door or join a network marketing company or do telemarketing in your off time, like start building some of those skill sets that might require some real life experience in order for you to be able to really build them up and move along. So um, in, in your, uh, in your college time, did you find yourself like really getting into like the college scene of, you know, parties and things like that? Or were you pretty much focused from the beginning of, of this is what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm really kind of head down focused on that particular path. It definitely varied. So I, I spent four years in college. My, my freshman year took everything pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up in a program called College Works Painting that I participated in my freshman year and the summer after freshman year. And that was a program where you basically got assigned a, a, a town or a neighborhood to start and grow your own uh, painting business where you're painting houses. Mm, so. Yeah. I, I was in that program, um, dedicated most of my second semester freshman year to that. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to uh, taking a full 18 hours of classes, um, was basically driving from Champaign up to the Chicago suburbs, knocking door to door, going out, trying to sell these jobs so yeah. that come summertime, we could go out and actually have jobs to complete. Towards the later part of college, got spent more time probably, I'll I'll loosely call it networking. So um, building friendships, going out to the bars, hanging out. That was also an important part of the college experience, I think. Yeah, I would would definitely say, especially if you go to a university like the one that you went to, um, that's got to be that's got to be one of the, the biggest things to take out of that is the connections to all the other people that are out there doing big things and building their own businesses and, um, and, and being able to, you know, just call them up and chat with them on the phone because your connections in college has to be a pretty solid, a solid, you know, point for the college column. You know what I mean? Especially like if you grow up in an area where there's not a lot of that, where there's not a lot of innovation, there's not a lot of businesses, there's not a lot of entrepreneurship. And it's, you know, a town that's full of people that just kind of work at the local factory type of a thing. Then going to college might be, might even be necessary for you to kind of build a lot of those, those types of relationships with people that are out there doing big things like you want to do. hundred percent. I mean, I, I, one of the craziest stories was actually a college friendship um, that ultimately served, um, kind of came back and was one of the most helpful, most interesting connections in ultimately helping us start the business that we're running today. So um, excited to share that story too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, we focus on helping these do-it-yourself landlords efficiently manage residential rental properties. And we've built this set of tools that landlords can use to do that. One of the features that we um, knew that was really important to have as part of the program was the ability to process rent payments. Hmm. And my, my co-founder, Lawrence, and I, um, back when we were first starting the company, we were sitting there um, in this co-working space, and 
we, we had learned how to code. We built the product from scratch. And we basically were looking at each other one day and we're like, well, how are we going to do this? And this is back before a lot of online tools existed. And so we basically had to hack together and figure out, okay, which bank, how, how, do we, how does one go about moving rent payments and moving millions of dollars in payments? And we went to the local Chase, we went to B of A, we went to a number of these other um, kind of Main Street banks, and they all almost laughed at us and said, you want to do what? <laughs> um, you guys are a couple of like 20 something year old guys. You're telling us you want to move millions of dollars of uh, rent payments through the ACH network. There's no way. And it happened that we were at a networking event and we bumped in uh, to an old friend from college who at the time was working in Chicago, working for one of the large commercial banks. Hmm. And we started talking with this guy, Nick, and we said, Nick, we need help. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's what we're trying to do. And it had been three or four years since either Lawrence, my co-founder and me had talked with Nick and, but he was an old friend from college and he immediately said, I get it. I get it. I trust you guys. I'll sign off on whatever paperwork is needed. Wow. And that was about seven years ago. And we're sitting here today on April 1st the day of the month that most rent payments are due and we're processing tens of millions of dollars in payments through the ACH network. And I credit it all to that one friendship with Nick from college. Yeah. So, uh, talk about putting an exclamation point at the end of that, uh, networking opportunity. That's insane. So, uh, talk to me then up through this creation of a veil. How old were you when you had the idea? What spawned the idea? And then what were your first action steps? Yeah, so back in, um, so for context, finished college in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, that was even before the great financial crisis yeah. hit. And moved up to Chicago, was working for a large investment bank myself, and was putting in these crazy hours, the 80 or 90, 100 hours per week. And at the time was living in an apartment up near Wrigley Field, um, and was also on the side helping my family manage some residential rentals. God. And around 08, 09, I started thinking about this problem. I started thinking about how inefficient uh, rent checks are. And yes. paper checks are just the bane of my existence back, <laughs> back then as a 23-year-old kid. Um, I just didn't understand why things couldn't be online. Sure. And so spent more and more time thinking about the problem. Uh, by 2011, 2012, both my co-founder Lawrence uh, and I had been through the early years of a prof professional career. And we were both getting, I think, a little restless working for bigger companies. Sure. By that time, Lawrence had bought a three-unit building in the city. And we eventually just started talking about how these independent DIY landlords and their tenants deserve a better way. Yeah. And that was really the genesis for, for starting the company. So that was the ideal, but we didn't at that point have the skills to start a technology company. So we had to go out and get those skills.
Okay, so this one has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to announce the launch of my new company, World Class Media. I've been doing podcast coaching and consulting for individuals and businesses for the last couple of years, and over the last few months, I just haven't been able to keep up with the requests. So in order to serve more people, I've decided to stop taking on coaching clients and start an agency that creates a done-for-you podcasting solution, as well as monthly production and repurposing services. So if you are a business owner, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, real estate investor, whatever it may be, then a podcast should be the most powerful business development tool in your arsenal. Imagine having something that is constantly engaging your ideal client, even when you're sleeping, or that allows you to connect with the top people in your industry to build your network and establish credibility, or that allows you to help listeners that are currently outside of your sphere of influence, or that helps you get book deals or speak on more stages or create content once that we can repurpose and distribute across all the platforms for you. That is the power of a world-class podcast that's done the right way. So if you're interested in starting a show, but you just don't have the time, the resources, or desire to figure out all the tech stuff, the hosting, the equipment, the platforms, the production, then you just focus on what you do best, which is serving your clients and running your business. And then let my team focus on what we do best, which is creating world-class chart-topping podcasts. Let's at least hop on a call and chat about it because I'm fairly picky with the people that I work with. And I only work with people who I genuinely think are going to be able to absolutely crush it with a new show. So head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. And we'll chat real soon. So from 2012 to 2015, it was basically me and my co-founder, Lawrence, sitting there in our homes, in our apartments, learning Ruby on Rails. So learning how to build a software product. Really? So you guys actually learned how to do it yourself? Yes. Yeah, we, um, we made the leap. We, we were committed to building the business. We had left our full-time jobs and we sat there and we said, look, we're both willing to invest money into the business and we can either put that, call it $100,000 into hiring professional software developers to build us our product, or we can go plan B, which is we can basically save that 100 grand, we can live off that for the coming three years and we can commit ourselves to learning these skills. Wow. And so that's basically what we did. We existed on ramen and Bud Light and learned, <laughs> learned how to code. Yeah, solid diet for a coder. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, trying <laughs> to keep expenses low. Just add Red Bull in there, yeah. Yeah, lots of coffee too and stuff. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but by 2015, we had cobbled together the bones of what became the, the product that still exists today. And we had built the product. Um, launched it in early 2015, started getting early customers to use it, give us feedback. And since then, it's just been an iterative process of how do we continue growing? How do we scale it? Um, how do we importantly grow a team? And what so- were, when, you were, when you were first building and taking it to market, what were one of like the, you know, uh, what were a couple of the biggest, biggest you know, lessons or pain points that you just completely were not expecting? Because especially in the SaaS um, space, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people that um, have an idea of what's going to happen and then just totally get blindsided when they're building the, the, when they're building the actual product or when they're taking the product to market, they find that maybe there's not a big enough need. Like what, what were one, what were one or two of those things that happened for you guys where um, that you just totally weren't expecting and you had to learn how to deal with it? 
Yeah, by far the number one thing. Um, we, we were building a product that we ourselves wanted to use. Hmm. Both Lawrence and I had managed properties. We had both been renters at some point. We, we were building a product that we believed every real estate investor, every landlord would want to use. Mm-hmm. We launched the product and we quickly realized that if you build it, they don't necessarily come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the same exact thing that I talk about with all of my podcasting clients is exactly that. <laughs> like, yeah, to build it and then you have to market the shit out of it and then they might come. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Maybe, if you're <laughs> yeah. lucky. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so we had, I mean, we quickly had to realize and learn how to sell the product. And yeah. we're selling a product that, um, is very affordable. I mean, landlords can use our product for free. And so we can't go out and um, knock on doors and shake everyone's hand and, and that. We have to rely on getting lots of landlords mm-hmm. and doing it at scale. Sure. And sure. One, of the, one of the things that we quickly learned early on is the power of content and the power of resources. And only then will they maybe come to your website, come to your product, come to your business um, after you've delivered them some value. Love that. So what were, what were some of those initial pieces of content you guys started to release? Yeah. So our product for, for a bit of context, we can help landlords list vacant units. We help them screen prospective tenants, help them create and sign leases, collect rent and manage maintenance. And so around each of those features that we built and that we offer, there's a lot of questions that independent do-it-yourself landlords who own one or two houses or one or two units have. Mm-hmm. And so we, we pretty early started scribbling down a list of pain points and questions that we had ourselves. Yeah. And so everything like, what do I do if rent is late? Or what questions should I ask a prospective tenant? Or today here, April 1st, what should landlords do about coronavirus? And basically for the last five years, we've invested um, a lot of time, money, energy, and effort into creating very high quality content that solves, solves problems, helps landlords. And then only after they've gotten value from our content, will they maybe take a look at using our tools and our product? Sure. So, and that's mostly been through blogging? Yeah, we've got a very uh, robust education site. Um, so okay. avail.co slash education. And we've got everything from um, different uh, guides to each state's uh, landlord-tenant laws. So we've got those. We've got different guides on how to build a bulletproof lease, how to collect rent efficiently online. And so it's, um, I think about it a little bit more than bite-sized 500-word pieces of content, but yeah. they're really thorough, in-depth guides that fortunately Google has rewarded us for and, and those rank pretty well. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So when you guys were starting to build and market and sell, was there, <clears throat> was there, any, was there any pushback on the method that you were using that made you be like, hey, we have to switch to content? Or, or was it just something that made sense for you in terms of like, hey, if we can just get eyes, if we can get traffic, then the product that we have solves so many problems that people just won't help but take, like can't help but take advantage of it. 
Yeah, um, I, I think for us, we were, I mean, we've made countless mistakes we've, sure. in running the company. We've, we've screwed up so many things. Um, I think one of the things that we did well, though, is at that moment when we weren't getting that initial traction we wanted, we took a step back and we thought, we really started spending time and saying, okay, if we were searching for a product or how do we as um, kind of small business entrepreneurs ourselves, how do we like to be sold? Hmm. And back then we were, we found that we were reading a ton of online content. So yeah. how do you build a website? How do you market it? How do you um, uh, build an email marketing program? I mean, all of this content that we were soaking up and then at some point there was an aha moment where we said, look, if we like to learn about new products this way, landlords must as well. Mm, yeah. It, it seems like, it seems like along the way you guys have really learned to adapt and pick up new skill sets um, rather than hiring somebody or like maybe hiring a consultant or something who's already an expert at that craft. How, how would you say that's affected your business in the long run? Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, you, you nailed it. That is something that adaptability, that ability to keep learning is something that we really value and pride ourselves in, yeah. not only as founders, but as a company. Sure. Uh, we're not looking to hire experts. We, we look to hire really smart people who can figure stuff out. Um, and I think that that has really influenced how we've built the company, how we've structured the team. Sure. Um, we've got a number of people on our team now where they've, they've actually moved within our team to different um, kind of teams where they've, they've yeah, bounced right. between operations to our product team or our product team to our marketing team. And that's really fun to see. I think it keeps things interesting, keeps people on their toes, and ultimately allows people to keep learning, growing, and developing their right. own personal skill set. And, it, and, and it, I don't know if you, if you guys have, have you guys ever taken on funding or anything like that after maybe you reached certain benchmarks, you were just like, hey, maybe we're in over our head, we should get some money and get some help? Yeah, we have. So um, as a company, we've t uh, raised about five and a half million in outside capital okay. uh, from venture capitalists. Um, and, but we've only done that really when we've had good places to invest it. Sure, sure. Yeah, as that's a, that's such a great point because I think too many people build their company in hopes of securing funding, and then like that's that's like the the furthest that they've thought is <laughs> like, all right, let's get some funding, and then it's just like, oh, what do we use the money for? <laughs> and then they just kind of get lost because their end goal wasn't necessarily growing the company; it was getting funding. So they yeah. do whatever they can to go get funding instead of do whatever they can to build the business, and then use the funding as like a complementary tool to in to like help grow, right? Yeah, it's accelerated. I, I think back, we've raised um, that five and a half million has come over a few different funding events or funding rounds. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, one of the scariest slash most exciting days is when that funding closes, because that's when the hard work begins. Um, raising the money is, uh, I don't want to say easy, because it's not. It's sure. actually quite painful to go through that process. But when the that funding closes, and I think back to even our first round um, that was mostly from friends and family and high net worth individuals, mm -hmm. I mean, we're taking our friends' money and right. they expect us to grow it. And 
that that comes with its own unique set of challenges. Sure. Sure. Would you recommend the similar path that you guys went on? And it's something that I think a lot of people talk about, but like instead of getting a series A from a venture capitalist going to more like private investors, angel investors, people like that, was that, is that, was that strategic on your guys's part or was it just like, this is the point that we're at and it's probably easier for us to get money this way instead of going this way. It was honestly a little bit out of necessity. Um, I mean, as a company, we're based here in Chicago. There's not, endless amounts of capital like there may be on in, in the Bay Area or sure. New York. So um, we had to be really efficient and smart with our time. And going to individuals for that first million dollars or so was um, more out of necessity, necessity than anything. Got it. Was it. Looking back, is there an advantage or disadvantage, do you think, to doing either one first? I think that going to individuals first gives the entrepreneur a little bit more time and flexibility to figure things out. Mm. Um, I think that venture capitalists, um, they're great. We've got great investors that we work with today, but ultimately they're expected to generate a return for their investors. Right. And so by going to individuals first, you're able to um, perhaps obtain a little bit more patient capital that, would will be understanding and accepting if you have to maybe shift or change course a little bit. Whereas venture capitalists, I think um, they're they're being held accountable and therefore they hold their their companies accountable. And yeah, that, yeah, that's reasonable. They're 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 kind of on the shortest path to getting a return essentially, and less flexible than than going private investor route. Is that kind of what kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think it, it's more about the patience and the timeline where, I mean, yeah. building, building a company, as, as I'm sure you know, Travis, from building your own is um, sometimes things don't go as planned. Things always take twice as long as you would expect. Mm. Um, and so I think those early investors, if you can reach individuals, that's probably, in my opinion, a preferred route. Got it. Okay, so you guys start building this company and now you have over 600,000 landlords and tenants across the US using this, which is an insane number to have that many users on a software on a software service. So at what point along all of this did you start seeing um, you know, exponential growth, like no longer just like, hey, we got an extra client today or we got one or two more people using the platform, but it was just like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of people starting to come on and use this platform. Well, it in some ways uh, feels like we still haven't hit that point. Um, and I think that's just any entrepreneur would say it's always about day zero. We're just getting started. Mm -hmm. um, I believe, I truly believe that, that we haven't quite yet cracked and figured out kind of what, what the ultimate growth potential here is. Yeah. Um, I can tell you um, some of the, those moments along the way where we've really felt good and excited, um, where we've got just a great team and we've been able to attract great people to the company. Mm -hmm. um, one of the moments that we had um, just this week was um, I, I sent out a recap of what we accomplished last week as a company. And we um, basically surveyed our customers. We created a 15 page report on the current COVID-19 situation we spoke with some of the top media outlets in the country. So CNBC, New York Times were 
interested in our findings, um, which is pretty cool and rewarding. Sure, yeah. We um, last week spoke with one of the largest banks in the country about a distribution partnership. And we're talking with one of the large public housing authorities in the country about helping their residents report payments to credit bureaus. Wow. And so um, I think those moments where you sit and take a step back and recap what we've accomplished as a team in just one week, um, it's pretty incredible and it makes it feel like we are starting to get that momentum you asked about. Sure. So there, every time I listen to somebody's story, Ryan, I, I, I hear little networking things sprinkled throughout the conversation because I find if, if you're successful just in just about any field, there's some sort of relationship building. There's some sort of, you know, like uh, people, people say that they're, you know, self-made and I understand the sentiment behind what they mean by self-made, but the truth and the reality is that pretty much nobody's self-made. We all had help along the way. Who, who would you say besides your co-founder would be like, you know, a couple of people that were just super helpful to you guys along your journey? Yeah, I, I think Lawrence obviously deserves a shout out. My co-founder, um, he's been incredible. Um, wouldn't imagine starting another company uh, without him alongside. Um, we've worked really well together. I think other people that deserve a lot of credit, my parents, obviously um, instilling that entrepreneurial spirit from an early age, being able to grow up around small businesses, um, deserve a ton of credit. I think the other group um, that deserves a shout out is all of our investors. So we've got um, a number of investors who have uh, taken a leap of faith, have risked their own money on us, on our ability to grow and to generate a return. And um, beyond just risking capital, they've been instrumental in making introductions to other yeah, investors, right. partners, um, everyone. So this is the question that I ask every single guest that's ever come on the show, Ryan. I'm curious to hear your response to it. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? And why do you believe that? Uh, without a doubt, I think it's who you know. I think it's, um, it's impossible to go through life and accomplish everything that you want to do on your own. Hmm. I think whether you're... Um, on a professional sports team, you're trying to climb a mountain, you're trying to grow a company, you're starting a family. Um, everything that you do requires teamwork. And there's the old saying that if you wanna go fast, go alone, and if you wanna go far, go together. Mm. And I, I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely love that. Before we, uh, before we finish up here, man, is there anything that, uh, that you would like the audience to know about you and your company that maybe we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, I think what I would mention is there's a ton of independent landlords in the country. There's about 8 million individuals. These are full-time doctors, bankers, lawyers, consultants. They're sure. every walk of life. They're managing rental units. There's a better way than spreadsheets and pen and paper. Um, there's a lot going on in the world right now with coronavirus, a lot of uncertainty. We at Avail have compiled the most thorough set of resources for landlords and the renters about coronavirus. Okay. And your audience would, um, I think it would be really helpful for them and their friends and family who own properties. Go check out all of our resources at avail.co slash COVID-19. So all one word, COVID-19, lowercase. Um, everything that you need is right there. 
We're also available on all the social channels at Hello Avail. Uh, we'd love to engage, answer questions, provide feedback, uh, learn about experiences. So please uh, hit us up, engage with us that way. Yeah, love it. Avail.co forward slash COVID-19. If you're a landlord and you want the best list of resources out there, make sure to head over there and download uh, what they've put together. And if you've been listening to this conversation at all, you know that they put a lot of time, a lot of effort into providing the best possible information that they can, which is one of the reasons that they've been as successful as they have been. So Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. I had a blast chatting with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Travis. Really appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.